Welcome to Uplift All Voices, where we highlight people striving to address issues in diverse media representation. I'm Claire Chen, Project Director of Uplift All Voices, and in today's special episode, we invited members of our own organization to discuss Avatar The Last Airbender, one of the most iconic and culturally significant animated series of all time. So to start off, let's have everyone introduce themselves. My name is Charlotte Cao, I'm 16 years old, and I'm the co-founder of Stories Empowered. My name is Diego Moreno, I am 16, and I am a staff writer. Hey, my name's Ruhi, I'm 17, and I'm part of the outreach team. Hi, I'm Ali, I'm 17, and I'm the operations director here at Stories Empowered. My name is Sanjana, I'm 16, and I'm the co-director of operations at Stories Empowered. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and start with the basics. So um, when did you first start watching Atla and why are you a fan of the show? So I first started watching Atla in 2008. Uh, this is while the third season was airing and they're doing reruns of the entire series before that. So I kind of jumped in watching the reruns and then uh, I watched the third season while it was airing. Uh, I just like the show because when I was a kid, I liked the bending and like the fighting and all that. But now that I'm older, I kind of appreciate a little bit more of the deeper value that it has? Oh, for me, um, for me, I started watching it when I was pretty young. I basically watched it because my older cousins watched it and I just wanted to fit in with them and have something to talk about um, because I was, I'm like the baby of the family. So that's kind of the main reason why I watched it. And it just holds such a special place in my heart because I just remember growing up watching it. There's this one time I had like a fever, like the paramedics had to come and it was pretty bad. And when they came, they saw like a little eight-year-old me sitting on the couch watching Avatar at two in the morning. And that's just one of my first memories of the show. And just like, they saw me laughing on the couch while I was sick because I just love the show so much. And it just means a lot to me. It holds a lot of nostalgic value. Uh, I started watching back when it was airing on Nick, on like Teen Nick or whatever. I think it's Nicktoons all the way back when it was first coming out. I remember I was four. I'd watch it with my parents. We'd get up early to catch the episodes. We'd stay up late. I remember watching the final episode of Avatar as it aired. And it was just so much fun. And that's and just like younger me seeing these like magical abilities, not understanding a thing about the whole greater understanding of the show. It just, it just caught my eye. Yeah, similarly, I started watching at a young age. I rem- there are there's like pictures of me being two years old sitting on the couch with my older cousins, um, because I like 2005 was when it first aired. That's when I first started watching. I don't really remember anything from back then, but I do. But um, it's sort of always been a staple. Um, and I'm like the reason I love the show so much is because there's so much emotional connection you can have with the characters and there's so much from life that you can learn from them. So I think that's really cool to see and also implement in our like daily lives. Um, yeah, I also don't remember exactly when I started watching it. I probably was five, six, seven, anywhere from the five to 10 range. I used to watch with my parents because I think they saw the word avatar. And um, since we're Hindu, they just like got 
they just saw the word and they're like, oh, let's watch that. So we used to watch all the time as a family sitting down and I was obsessed with the show. I used to pretend to be vendor with my brother and we would like play and pretend to be, and like we would like play in the living room pretending to be different vendors. And so I've like had such a strong connection with the show forever. Like that was my one wish to be an airbender since I was little. So I, I love the show and like now watching it again, it just like, Every time you watch it, you just find something new, and that's why I love it so much. Oh my god, that was so cute. <laughs> I also used to do the same thing. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> Who's your favorite character and why? Uh, so I like Zuko. Um, just because, okay, well, first of all, when I was a kid, I thought he was really cool because he's a cool firebender. But um, now that I'm a bit older, once again, I feel like I could kind of relate to a little bit of the character arc he went through. Um, probably not the whole thing. I don't know. I don't think my face got burned by my father, but you know, um, yeah, that's just a little bit of a, a why I like Suga. I like how you said, I think. I feel like that's something that- I, Yeah, I like, no burns, right? Oh, uh, I, we'll have to see, we'll have to see. Okay. Over Zoom is hard to tell. I uh, for me, I mean, I guess I also have to say Zuko because that character arc how can you not fall in love with that character arc um There's a crush yeah current it should be everyone's current crush Let's not lie um I think okay not gonna lie when I was really young I think my favorite character was Katara just because I like related a lot to her I kind of felt like I was like the like the girl who like, oh, kind of followed the rules a lot and like was really goody two shoes. But I think now like that I've grown older, I, I definitely see like so much, I don't know, just like so much, I have so much appreciation for the other characters, obviously Zuko, obviously Iroh. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my thing. I don't really have a favorite character. I like Zuko because I'm biased towards firebenders, but of course, my heart goes to Sokka because it's just so funny. Every episode, even when he's trying to be serious, he just can't, it just can't help but laugh. Like the desert episode, the cactus juice. Oh my God, for sure. Cactus juice was so much, I'm like, I wish cactus juice existed in real life in a very legal manner that we're able to purchase, but um, not, that doesn't happen. But I think, Growing up, my favorite characters, it honestly depended on who I was least annoyed with that episode um, <laughs> or like least mad at because there were some episodes where I'm just like, Katara, stop, you know, or uh, Zuko, it's really not that big of a deal. Calm down. But I think right now, um, Suki for sure, because Suki definitely helped me embrace the fact that you can vote, you can be very feminine, but you can also be a very powerful uh, and like fighter. So right now it's Suki. It honestly depends on my mood and who I need support from. Suki was totally my childhood crush. So <laughs> I get that for sure. Oh my Suki God. Was amazing. <laughs> Literally the best. I you know, I cried when that rumor came out that like Suki like died young and like that's not a rumor that was confirmed. Is it confirmed? No. <laughs> that was just a rumor though. Like that really? was just a rumor. People just I went wild like, with it and now everyone believes. I like it. it better that she died young. It just 
It adds more um, to the can story. Can Diego? Can someone mute him? Just like right now. She Just died when she was like forty-five or fifty. Like she didn't die young. She, there's no way. I mean, in terms of Avatar, everyone's living to like their seventies and eighties. I want that. I want that for Suki. She deserves that life with Sokka. Also, let's be honest, Suki and Sokka were the only two people that would have been good parents. Like, if you think about it, I feel like they would have been the best parents out of everyone. So good. But, honestly, there are so many rumors going around about, like, who's, Sokka, who's Sokka's actual kid and Legend of Korra. Oh, Su Yin, right? People were saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about Korra in this? Uh, I think we're going to save Korra for another episode. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my favorite character, just like Charlotte said, when I was younger, it used to be Katara and Toph. And it used to be Toph because I was a huge tomboy, so I loved Toph so much. Um, I remember I used to, I once lied to my friend and I said that I was blind too, and I could feel the vibrations just like Toph and that's how I could see. But then she threatened to tell my mom and I was like, just kidding. But yeah, Toph was always my favorite, but I think now... It's definitely Suki or Tylee. I feel like those are really strong characters. And I really, I love Tylee so much because I feel like she's such a unique villain, even though she does turn good in the end, she's such a unique villain that you don't really see on screen. So I really loved, I really like her character. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I guess she's not really like a villain, but she's like a villain, but you know what I mean? She's not a villain, she's but she's like a an villain. antagonist for most of the movie and like in the last episode she's like yes you're good now if you say yes. movie i'm pretending that the movie doesn't exist um what is oh i meant series i meant series who is m night Shyamalan? <laughs> okay we don't and yes, know jet is dead uh, this, this yes this is the thing yeah that's rough buddy <laughs> Wow, great delivery of that line. Just absolute immaculate perfection. And I'm, I'm, I'm a comedian. Okay, Claire, you want to move on? Yes, okay. So uh, we know who our favorite characters are. So what was your favorite episode? And uh, what fight scene do you think was the best in the series? Okay, so my favorite episode is definitely the Firebending Masters where Aang and Zuko meet the dragons. But uh, the fight series definitely has to be the uh, final Agni Kai, just because the colors and like the advanced animation, even though it's only 2008. Oh, for me, I, okay, I love the Firebending Masters episode. I like rewatched it like the last month and it got, it got me like really emotional just seeing all the colors, just seeing, just hearing the, the ending credit scene play out in the actual series was like a hit of emotion like no other. But I think for me, my favorite episode, this is kind of cheating, but I kind of want to say like the, that, that transition from um, Tales of Bossing Say and then to Appa's Lost Days and then Lake Lao Guy, those three episodes just hit hard because first you have like Tales of Bossing Say, you have, you know, Iris Tale, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Heartbreak. <laughs> heartbreak. You have um, like the cute feminist tale of like top guitar. You have like all of these cute tales and then you go to Oppa's Lost Days and then your heart gets crushed again. And then you go to Lake Laogai and that show or sorry, that episode I think was like really pivotal. It was just like you, it's so emotional for Zuko because you see him finally like letting go of like his past and 
I don't know, I think this is kind of like the first moment where you realize that, oh, Zuko is more than an antagonist, more than we thought he could be. And then that's kind of like a really good hint for that. It's the, the like the reunitement between Aang and Appa. And like that got me really emotional because it was like, it, like, it really makes you remember that Aang, Appa, and Momo are like the last of, last of the airbenders. And just seeing that moment where they embrace is really emotional. I agree. Oh my God. I don't know. Like Lagai. <laughs> Go ahead. That episode slapped. That was like, oh. Bro, when Ira says, who are you and what do you want? Oof. That hits it different. Hurt. It hits. It hurts so much. It's just like. It's like, dang, who am I? <laughs> I also. Okay, I also love that episode because especially looking now at the way that they did it in terms of like like the brainwashing and you see how similar like the uh, I don't know this the, the episodes of like Lao Guy are to like oh the media oh to um other countries in the current like landscape right now it's I feel like of all the episodes that was an episode that really connected to the present and it wasn't something that I realized when I was younger but definitely now that I'm older. Fun fact Lake Lao Guy was actually the name of a Chinese experiment and that's where the idea of Lake Laogai came from. So yes, that was actually a kind of thing that happened. Hey, showing that representation and accuracy come through Briak. Oh, Aruhi, did you say your favorite episode? Oh, okay. So my favorite episode, this is a very hard one for me because there's just so many really good episodes. I would say majority of the episodes from season three just like are, I would say the ones that for me stand out the most would be um, definitely Southern Raiders. Um, Southern Raiders and the Puppet Master, that one, and the Painted Lady and Sokka's Master. Those are the big ones. Nah. Those like four <laughs> episodes like are my peak. And my favorite fight scene is actually the season one finale. Like with- um, Is that the ocean spirit? Ocean spirit. Ah. And like all the intricacies and the emotion and like you know that Iroh and you see like Iroh and Zuko and there's just so much development and art and like UA sacrifice. It's just beautifully crafted um, as a fight scene. and. I just love those two, like the finale fight scenes of season one the most. For sure. Yes, that's so, so true. All of season three is perfection, but um, I would say that my favorite episode is either the guru because I really liked how um, that one scene where guru Patik is talking about uh, how you have to, how metal is just in everything is made of the four elements and then it kind of cuts back and forth between Toph realizing oh. that she's metal man. That, I feel like the entire episode is just like so beautifully created and they like switch between the all the four characters because they're all in different places and it was such a good episode. Or the headband in season three because I really thought that the pair like you could really see parallels between the real world and like the Fire Nation propaganda and like the corruption of history and like how like the children are taught to hate. I thought that was really interesting. And my favorite fight scene is 
got to be um oh uh I just remembered it I forgot I had such a oh I remember my favorite fight scene is that is the episode of the boiling rock when Tyler and May betray Azula that's such a that's, good yes, yes. that is so satisfying Mm-hmm. It's amazing to watch. And it was so yeah. shocking. I would have never predicted that. Because I never yeah. watched this when I was younger. Like, because I didn't watch every single episode when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So when I was re-watching it, when I got the DVDs for my 12th birthday, I was like in shock. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. You miscalculated. I love Zuko more than I fear you. Oh, oh that line's delivery. No. <laughs> wait, wait, Diego, what about you? <laughs> I don't really have a favorite episode because each one is great in its own way in the way that the story is told. But if I were to choose, it'd probably be maybe the last like few episodes where the gang's off to finally defeat the Fire Lord because like that's when you see the gang at their full potential. You see Toph metal bending, just beating everyone up. You see uh, Sokka defeating multiple uh, firebenders while holding Toph. You see uh, Zuko and my favorite fight scene, the Agni Kai, because just yes, first sir. he's just about to defeat Azula, opens his big mouth, and then ha- has to have Katara finish the job. And then you just see uh, Angle absolutely crazy against the Fire Lord. But I guess the episode of Sendo above every other episode is the one where Zuko and Katara go to try to avenge Katara's uh, monsters. Just because you see Katara almost murder a guy and just you see the true power of waterbenders that even Hama would be afraid of. In that episode too, I'm like, if I were Zuko, I'd be like, holy shit, she could have killed me at any time. Like, yeah, just viewing Katara's raw power and also the chemistry in that episode. Hey, yo, hold up. Okay. This is some treacherous territory. This is controversial, guys. This is controversial, controversial stuff. We're going to protect, but we're not getting into that right now. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh. <laughs> wait. Oh, yeah. I was going to. Oh, dude, I also love like that, that like frame where like Katara like freezes all the water to ice and it's just like, like silence, just absolute silence. Oh I love that they, that they decided not to have any music or anything there, just like just actual silence because it just makes the vibe so much more terrifying. And like Hama was terrifying, bro. Like Hama was like actually terrifying, okay? But like, I've never felt so scared by a waterbender than in that scene. Like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, definitely. And the silence, it just magnitude, like it just magnified the importance of that moment for Katara yes. and like what it meant for her. Yeah. And I really liked when she just like had no hesitation to blood bend that one guard. Because like I remember before she was like, I will never do this. That's like such a dangerous power, and I'm not gonna do that. And then like you could really see like how much pain she had inside of her when she just had no hesitation. Like she was so hurt that she like was willing to just like take away her morals that she had set before and go because she was in so much pain. I think also what like Southern Raiders highlights is how like the same event can impact two people like differently, like 
impact two people because Sokka and Katara both lost their mother. But the effect it had on Katara versus Sokka was, and why Katara has so much, um, like, is, has so much of a connection and, like, this want and desire to, like, live up to some standard that her mother would have wanted her to live up to, I guess. Like, you can see why that happens and why that exists in that episode. I was actually reading something about that the other day, and I heard, okay, from what I read, it basically said that the reason why Katara is so much more angry, I want to say, than Sokka about the death of her mother is because she was the one who was forced to step up. So Sokka was allowed Mm -hmm. to grieve, but Katara never was because she was forced into that position of being a mother and caring for Sokka. And it's kind of like that, like, older child burden right where now you're in charge of you know keeping together the family of maintaining I the thought household was older yeah, yeah but i feel dynamic yeah i feel you yeah so i i think that's kind of why because this was like the like the final this one moment where katar was able to like unleash her grief and like actually have a moment to reflect on herself and realize like this isn't something that I was okay with I'm not okay with this fact that I didn't have a childhood I took care of Sokka I was like the only waterbender in the South Pole and I had all this responsibility Uh, the fact that she was the only waterbender in the South Pole because the Southern Raiders came for her yeah her mother's death is a direct result of who she yeah that's what I was about to talk about thank you Ruby I know. Let's go. And I'm like, that's such a burden to feel at eight years old. Exactly. Like, I feel like, uh, okay, so Charlotte, you had a really cool explanation and all, but I feel like Katara's resentment about the firebenders and all of her anger and pent up rage comes from the fact that her mother's death, she probably felt like she was responsible for her mother's death because her mother lied to protect her, right? And Sokka's not a waterbender, so he doesn't know that. But Katara was in that room when it happened, right? So it's like, just my <laughs> she was the last person yeah. that her mother loved to see her alive yeah and you bring in the point of hama later on because hama sort of acts as that fold to katara where both of them lost everything hama lost all the other waterbenders yeah you see them go down two completely different paths hama went down a path of vengeance and trying to hurt others while you see katara go down a sort of this path of moving forward like she like she can heal she heals Zuko she heals Aang like you see you see this divergence between bloodbending and healing waterbending speaking of Katara so what are your thoughts on her speaking about her mother so often since people have been labeling her as annoying man Katara's kind of a weird topic though I feel like okay so we're talking about her mom all the time I feel like okay first of all people definitely exaggerate how much she talks about her mom like 100% but um I feel like it does get slightly annoying at times but it's not like a bad thing I think she's okay she's She's a pretty solid character overall. And I mean, the the mother thing was like purposely written into there just because like that's her personality as kind of the mother role of the group, you know? So I don't really know. I like when you said mother role, that flashback to that. What was that episode? It was when she and Toph were fighting. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the gambling uh, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Blind ba- not the blind bandit. The runaway? The runaway. The runaway. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I think for me, like, I, I think it's understandable why she talks about it so much. It's, you know, it's an emotional topic for her. Yeah. I think I was fine with it up until um, the Southern Raiders. And then she, like, oh, yeah, that yeah. like, you didn't love her like I did. Like, yes, 100%. That's a little bit too much to say, Katara. Okay, but I really liked how... Oh, sorry, you can go, Ali. Okay, I was just going to say that I really liked that the writers included that part, even though, like, most of the fan base hates it. I feel like it's so, like, real and, like, such an accurate representation of what someone would feel like if they actually, like, place the blame of losing their mother on themselves. Mm -hmm. I think also with that is that in the episode, The Runaway, you see Sokka tell Toph that I can't picture my mother's face anymore. All I picture is Katara's face when I think of my mother, right? So yes, while both of them love their mother, I think Katara might have had more of a connection or more of like this weight with her mother's death mm. that Sokka never had to carry. So with the bird i think it pro it probably came out the wrong way from katara's mouth and i think it was the writer's intention to have it as such but i think with that it's like you didn't grieve her or you didn't experience the same loss that i did yeah. and for the same reasons that i did if that makes sense okay i think it just depends on the character because we look at zuko who's like honor this and that so Katara and all of them were created very early on. So they established that, hey, this is going to be her whole thing. Zuko was like created near the end. So they're like, oh, snap, we're creating this new person. How are we going to do it? So his whole thing became honor, but how they, but they treated him differently. Like we see in season two, when he's traveling around, like is honor really all I really need? Mm. When he, especially when he helps defend the ch that one child and they still hate him because he's a firebender. And that really just shows like the character development was vastly different despite being the same. Yes. And yeah, I yeah, Katara I is exaggerated a lot. I feel but. like um, personally for me, I think that the Katara, in my opinion, just like Ali said, reacted extremely realistically to the death of her mother. And honestly, I do definitely, I don't want to read into it too much, but I definitely think it is sexism when it comes to people tolerating Zuko's constant talking about like getting his honor and dignity back. Because even though he does go through that arc where he realized that honor is not all, all he wants, he realized that honor comes from a different place. It's not that all he wants, he gives up the idea of honor. He's always talking about his honor. And yet I feel like people, and not only that, he's also two years older than Katara. If we think about it, I'm 16 years old. Katara is two years younger than me. I can easily imagine her saying all those things, even though she said that hurtful thing to her brother, um, you didn't love your mother as much as I did. I mean, it's something that a 14-year-old would say, you know? If you think about it, it is something a 14-year-old would say. And people definitely exaggerate how much she talks about her mother. She's a motherly figure. She admires her mother, and she copes with it by talking. She's an extremely emotional character. And I feel like people don't... People tend to hate on emotional characters more. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so I... From that scope, I don't think it's sexism. But what I do think is that people subconsciously have this 
bias because they see that Zuko goes through that arc, right? Where he thinks that, oh, honor is not this, honor is that, right? But they people people see that Katara's character in that sense of her mother kind of stays stagnant a little bit until the Southern Raiders episode happens. And then she like chills out a little bit, right? So I feel like because people see the same thing versus someone changing, I feel like it automatically sets off a thing in their brain where it's like, this is good, but this is bad. So I don't feel like it's sexism, but I feel like it's like an inherent thing that people like when people change. Yeah, I agree. I don't know 100% if it's sexism. Like, it's just like, could it be sexism? Because, I mean, if Katara was a guy, do you think that people would hate on her talking about her mother as much? Or would they be like, she loves her mother, he loves his mother so much. Like, like look at his connection with his mother. Like, he has so much pent-up trauma. Like, no one ever says, like, Katara has so much trauma. She saw her mother burnt to a crisp. She saw her mother being burnt alive in front of her. But, like, then no she, one she ever said... Igloo first, but... Um, Oh, yes, yeah, well, that's like a technicality. Yeah. Okay, sorry, but that's just a technicality. Sorry, yeah, yeah, no, you're okay, right. Okay, she but you're still right. Yeah. She she saw the body? Really? Because okay. in the end scene, sure. they both run in. Oh, they, right, Yoda yes. Yoda and Katara both run mm-hmm. in. Um, yeah. And I think also, it's like, I think there is also like, with, if we look at Katara's like trauma and response, um, there's also, and like, compare her to Sokka again sorry I'm going back to Sokka and not Zuko but um Sokka was given that responsibility by Hakoda to like be like okay your job now is to protect your sister you can't come with me but and like and was like sort of guided into that role by his father where Katara immediately had to step up and fulfill the motherly role like there was no somewhat transitional period for her whereas Sokka did have that like guiding figure and like here's what I need you to do um sort of interaction that like Sokka like that Sokka had like Katara didn't get that so I think that's why it was a lot more of a weight and a lot more of like a pressure on her compared to Sokka okay I feel you there yeah but I think that's I think that Katara would receive Okay, in my humble opinion, I think that Katara would, or not, yeah, Katara would receive more hate if she was an emotional dude than an emotional girl. Because I feel like people tend to dislike emotional dudes more than they like, more than they dislike emotional girls. Like, if we saw a male version of Katara talking about her mother every, like, however much she talks about her mother, I think people would be a lot more annoyed than if, like, than, like, how she is actually, you know? Yes, actually, I think you disagree with you on that point. You disagree? All right, give me your take. I think, well, also, it's how culture changes over Uh time. Um, But we see Zuko literally break down and yell at the world, like, shoot me with lightning, take me down, right? But he still, and he has such emotional outbursts. Like, he literally did like one good thing and then decided to like get sick and just like faint like I'm not sure about you guys but I feel like that is a very dramatic response to being morally right right but Zuko doesn't get that same hate or not hate but like annoyance that Katara gets even though he is an emotional character he might not be as like, he is an emotional character. He might be a little more stoic about it than Katara is, but 
he's has his very over the top dramatic moments, but we still see Zuko More so than Katara, getting the same annoyance with his honor that mm-hmm. Katara gets with her mother. Okay, I understand you. Okay, so building off of the topic of how the audience perceives each character, so Azula was a very violent and aggressive character, but there's been a lot of sympathy for her lately. So why do you think that is? I can't stand the sympathy for Azula. You really can't? Oh my god, I feel so bad. No, I can't because that's not her character. We see that she that her mother tried with her. But Azula's just crazy. Uncle Iroh's like, no, kill that, kill that girl, because there's there's no saving her. She lives through fear. She was just born evil. I like I strongly disagree. I very harshly disagree with that. But I disagree. The comics that. show her being even more evil. Oh, no, no, it's not the point of her character. She's not Ozai. Ozai can be labeled as evil. But Azula is just a lazy. 14-year-old child lazy. in this show. Diego, the burned down the earth is lazy. I also, I think that people <laughs> don't recognize that we saw the flashback when she was a baby, right? She started laughing. She's like, I hope Azulon dies, then Ozai can become the Fire Lord. She was laughing about that. People don't realize that children are just parents. They're just going to repeat what their parents are telling them. Because Azula was favored by her dad, she spent more time around her dad, and she just repeats what her dad tells her. And I do agree that Azula was probably born with more violent, inherently violent, but it's the parents' job to nurture that and make them a kind person. She was born probably more inherently violent than Zuko, and the environment that she lived in just emphasized that so much. What she needed was help. If you are, like, she had natural violent tendencies and she needs that taken care of. Instead, it was put to the very, very forefront and she was encouraged in all aspects to be violent, cruel, and like all the bad things. She was made to become Ozai. And her mom was not a good mom. I disagree with that strongly. Her mom, um, once she saw that Azula had violent tendencies, she just decided that Azula, doesn't shouldn't receive the same amount of love as Zuko she spent way more time with Zuko and I'm not saying that was a bad thing I'm not saying it's a bad mother she was in a very stressful situation but we know that Azula has mommy issues like we saw that whole breakdown scene oh my god you said Azula and mommy issues but like we we see the scene like they both had Iroh in their life yet when her cousin dies she's like oh he is weak that's, that's, what, that's what he gets. We all saw Tales from Bossing say. We all cried from the okay, from okay, that okay. song. And Azula's like, Diego, he's Diego, weak. here's the thing. Ozai wanted that to... Oh, okay, Iroh was at the front of the war. Ozai was living in the Cushy Palace. Of course, and whatever Ozai... And Ozai, we know from, like, we see that he is a manipulator. He wants power. He's very power hungry. Like that is established and there's nothing about that that's going to change. Right? Like, He's especially when we see with that scene with Azulon where he goes to his dad, where Ozai goes to Azulon and says, make me Oh, you should make me Fire Lord yeah. instead of the firstborn son. Even though Iroh would have been a much better Fire Lord just because, you know, Ozai's power hungry, right? So that's the type of mindset that Azula was surrounded with. But she like, wasn't. Iroh was around too. We see Iroh playing Iro with. We see Iroh taking care of not only Zuko but Azula. Like we all know that scene where he's holding up baby Zuko 
well, their cousin's playing in the sand. You think okay, you're going to favor just Zuko? Was, you think, was wait, but we can assume Zuko wasn't born at that time, too. Azula is two years younger than Zuko. So Azula could have not been born also, when also, drawing was created. Iroh had to spend three years with Zuko alone on the ship, whereas Azula was sitting in the palace with Ozai instead of being on that ship with uh, Iroh and Zuko. Right? So it's like, they did, okay, even though they both had Iroh around them, Iroh had a different influence on Azula and Zuko because of the time that they spent together was different. You know, so you can't compare the fact that they both had Iroh in their lives. I think that that also kind of counts because even like at the beginning of the series, you kind of see Zuko dismiss Iroh and it, it isn't until mm-hmm. like the later seasons you really see Zuko embrace Iroh and realize I've had this great parental figure in my life. Why wasn't I paying attention? Um, I know this isn't like related at all, but I, don't know, I really love like the like the the relationship between um like ozai and azula that you guys were talking about because uh-huh. i was like watching this thing where they basically said that ozai is the technical villain of the a, a villain of the show but in every way azula is the real villain because ozai is like this figurehead he doesn't actually have like a character he's just kind of there and then they fight him and then he's not there yeah, <laughs> yeah. azula is like the real antagonist i don't know i just really loved how you how that that's brought up because then it's kind of like like azula is Azula's Ozai's character, right? Yes, yes, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the sympathy. I I think it. I think it just comes to the whole cultural aspect. Fire Mm -hmm. Nation's based off a sort of Imperial Japan. Uh, Ozai is the figurehead. He's the he's the leader, but Azula holds all the cards. She's Mm -hmm. the one that has the power. Yeah, of course she she she's uh, she's crazy, but she holds all the power. I think there is. Um, but there was like that one scene in season three where Azula says, you can't treat me like how you treat Suzu yes. or something along those lines to Ozai. So I think, and so much of what Azula does is for approval, right? Her mother, so Zuko, when he was banished, he might've gotten some approval like throughout those three years from Iroh. But, uh, but at that time, their mother was not around so there was no one other than ozai to give her the give her approval from like age 10 to 14 you know and those are very like impactful and influential years other than ozai like the ozai was the only person so she that like i would assume would wire her brain or like drive her actions to get approval because she didn't have anyone else to get it from ruhi you brought up something really interesting there like at the first part of the thing you said, you said at that one scene where um where Azula, where Izo, Izo, Ozai crowns himself the the Phoenix King, right? And then Azula says, "You can't treat me how you treat Zuko." I thought that was really interesting because in that moment, Ozai realizes that this is Azula's character and this is how she is, right? She does it for approval, and Ozai makes her the Fire Lord, right? And he makes himself the Phoenix King, and that's how he gives. Azula, that's how she tell he tells Azula that no, you are good. And he manipulates her into thinking that he she's better than Zuka by crowning her the fake fire lord. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. That's such a good point. And I think that's why that scene with May and Tylee hits the hardest. Because May says, No, you miscalculated. I love Zuko more than I love you. And that's exactly how she feels about her mom. So she's she was like, 
my mom abandoned me and now my friends are abandoning me uh, and it's for the same person too and for a very oh my god you spit in things as well because like yeah, cause... i know ursa didn't necessarily abandon her child like abandon azula because or like for zuko i mean i guess she sort of did but like you know that was just the situation of things mm-hmm. but it's the same reasoning and the same fear that she has kept internalized for so long finally comes out to play and it's finally exhibited in front of her and also with an audience so i don't think that helped either i don't know about you but if i was tylee i wouldn't want to be maintaining friends with someone that set my net on fire like good luck have fun don't die if you survive you can come with me actually no you are coming with me you're right. We wouldn't like when we're the Azula sympathy. No one has said that Azula is excused for her actions. Yes. We're all just saying oh. that we understand why she turned out like she did, and that she is a teenager. She would be in the ninth grade. She just needs help. She does not need to go to jail. She does not need to be suffering for her actions. She needs help. We think Real all the invaders in the Turo run of the hallways. <laughs> Naruto, what is in the Turo? Naruto run in the hallways like they need help, and like you have seven minutes to get to class. Calm down. <laughs> I think kind of adding on to that, I feel like like she needs help, but I think something that's like really important to differentiate is that Azula has gotten approval all her life. She's been the gifted child, but she's uh-huh. gotten love, right? Mm. There's like a difference between like approval and there's a difference between love because Zuko never got approval. He was always dismissed as like the kid who can't firebend as well as his sister. But then he did get love. Yeah, but he did get love, right? So then it kind of goes back to this idea of like, they were raised valuing different things, right? Or they were raised given different things too. Yeah. Okay, real talk. If Azula didn't have that one scene where she broke down in front of the mirror and she saw her mother's reflection, nobody would feel sympathy for Azula. Am I right when I say that? Because when you see her physically break down in front of that mirror and actually go like crazy, that's when you feel bad for her. But if you saw, if you cut out that scene from the show, then nobody has any reason to feel a sympathy for Azula and nobody would think deep enough about Azula to realize the things that we were seeing about Azula right now. Yeah. But the beach scene though at the campfire Uh where Zuko, um, Azula, May, Ty Lee, and Azula's like, well, my mother thought the same, but whatever. Like, and just dismisses it. Like, dismisses that n- negative relationship with her mother. I mm-hmm. think that was also a very pivotal scene for her mm. in terms of realizing for, like, us as the audience. Humanize her. Oh, this is, this hurts her a lot more than she actually, like, thinks it does. Or something, like yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people also... Um, agree with that but what's interesting is that for me when I watched it um, I actually didn't I thought she genuinely didn't care I think I was younger when I watched I was like 12 years old when I saw that scene so I didn't think too deeply but when she said that she was right of course but it's still her you know like when she said it I was like that's when I was like oh maybe Azula's a sociopath that's what I thought I was like she genuinely seems to not care like she thinks of herself as a monster and she doesn't care that scene that Ollie was talking about when she physically breaks down that's when I realized no, she's not a sociopath. She actually does care, you know? 
Okay, so I've loved hearing all of your opinions, but this is Stories Empowered, so we have to talk about the issue of representation. So even though ATLA was inspired by Asian cultures and has so much diversity, it was ultimately created by white people. Many of the voice actors were white as well. So what are your thoughts on this lack of representation in the actual production of the show? Okay, to be completely honest, in this case, I'm 100% okay with the cat or with the produ producing cast being um, completely white, as well as a lot of the voice actors. Obviously, Mako Yamatsu, the voice actor for Iroh, uh, was actually Japanese, which is the culture that uh, the Fire Nation is derived from. But that's besides the point. So I think it's perfectly okay because of the fact that the the um, writers and producers did so much research to the fact to the point where they were experts on the topics that they were talking about within the show. Um, I feel like that is enough to make it okay that it's not a predominantly uh, Asian producing cast, even though a lot of the cultural value was taken from Asia. I think for the time that it was created, I think that that was okay. I think for the time that it was created, it was amazing how much research they did because you want to make sure that whatever cultures you're representing on screen, you want to do it accurately. You don't want to spread this like racist stereotypes, these racist you know propaganda, whatever, things like that. I feel like for the time, it was good. But I feel like now standards are higher and it should be, right? And by standards are higher, I mean the standards are being met, you know, like we're actually getting some more representation. We're actually seeing people like us on screen. So I feel like if Avatar were made right now, I feel like that wouldn't cut it. You know what I mean? And we saw that with the recent Mulan movie where so much of the production cast was white. And I feel like to say that, I don't know, I feel like right now in this day and age, it's, it's not enough to have an Asian show where the voice actors are white. I think for the time, like 2004, I think that was so much headway, you know? Avatar was so monumental and I think that we needed that. But I feel like if it were remade, we would definitely want, you know, actual Asian people giving voice credits, you know, actual Asian people on the production team, things like that. I think in terms of who created the show, like in terms of the creators, it was, the show was done artfully mm -hmm. and it was done with so much accuracy and representation. So I, and I, especially for the time it was created in, um, like 2005 where racism and, and like was still in a lot of times in the film and TV industry was like an acceptable thing to have. Um, and I think in terms of the, and I think also in voice actors though, you're not necessarily seeing someone, right? Like the people mm -hmm. the who are represent, like the characters themselves are drawings, you know? Like I think with voice actors compared to like, um, like on camera actors, it's a little, I, I'm not, I think it's okay. Cause then you're starting to like gatekeep people from yes, participating I agree. Mm -hmm. or from, Con contribute or having a contribution to something that impacts so many other people like you're at there definitely needs to be when people create shows especially when it's based on certain culture or certain religion or, or like a certain country etc there has to be research done and you have to be very accurate and respectful in the way you do it but the moment you say oh because you're white you can't start writing stories inspired by asian culture now you're gatekeeping asian culture and i that agree divides people more than unites people like then then what's the point of that why can't you learn something about my culture 
and you like it so much that you decide you want to go ahead and like express your express your creativity through aspects of my culture I'm okay with that just don't disrespect it you know I agree I was about to make the same point it just comes down to like with the voice actors like the northern water tribe like northern and southern water tribes are based off of native american groups so it's like would we have to find people who were of those descent like we can't just grab any native american that would be that that mm-hmm. come out as racist so you, would we have to go out and specifically ask people hey can you voice act that would take time and maybe they'd be an amateur but they did want to at least show the story they showed the culture so i think that nowadays even if like Sokka and Katara were played by white people voice acting that'd be fine but if we show like the movie where like everyone was a white actor that's where you have the problem because you're on screen whitewashing everything definitely I agree definitely but I also um slightly disagree in the fact that the issue with the voice actors is that people um I mean I'm sure you guys know as ever as in every industry, there's a lot of racism in mm-hmm. uh, film and especially the um, animation and visual effects industry. And it's not just about certain things. It's just about the industry as a whole, you know, it's run by um, white people. So in general, you know, so there's um, bound to be a lot of discrimination in it. And so um, I think like I know one example was in South Park, I think the TV show was, there's a black character and um, there was a white voice actor for it. And then she stepped down and a black voice actor came and voice act for it. Because um, I think the issue, the idea is like, you're creating a space where people have of color have like the opportunity to voice act something where they might have not have before. And so you're making it a little bit easier for people of color to kind of rise the reins. But I also do not see an issue with white people having voiced um, Avatar Last Airbender, especially because they did choose real um, Asian people when voice acting people with uh, accents like Guru Patik and Master Paku and Iroh. So I think that's okay. And first time, just like Charlotte said, I think it was okay that the um, ev- everyone in the production cast was white. I just, I personally think it's remarkable that two white male middle-aged people would create a show that is 100% Asian and Native American. I don't think I've ever seen a show before Avatar Last Airbender with a Native American main character. I, I love the way that Sanjana put it because I think I definitely agree with that. I think that I think that by it's it's all about opportunities that are given. It's about the playing field that you're given because if you're not even allowed on the field, how can you play, right? Um, but yeah, I think I also do have to agree. Like I I don't think that it's necessarily wrong for people to learn to like write stuff or create art about a certain culture because as long as there's respect behind it as long as there's um research behind it then that means that if they've done it correctly they should be able to represent it correctly so i definitely agree with that with on terms of ruhis because i feel like we don't want to gatekeep but at the same time it's like i don't know there's just there's so much um there's so much uh i can't quite say the word but it's really hard to differentiate between like What's respect? What's for profit? Sorry, what'd you say? Like between appreciation and appropriation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between appreciation. Those lines and get very defensive. 
Yeah. And especially because media is so profit-based, right? The whole purpose is to get people watching to make money. It's also so dangerous because then it's like, you're creating this art based on a different culture that isn't yours and you're profiting off of it. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a hard line to walk. I think that in terms of avatar, the creators did an amazing job like researching it. And I'm so glad that they created the show because it inspired so many people and opened so many doors. And I think uh, the important thing to highlight though is that there's no like specific race that in the Avatar universe, like the characters and some tri- and tribes and nations are inspired by mm-hmm. historical people and by historical groups, but there's not like someone saying that the Fire Nation people are would like be Japanese if they existed in our world you know it's they're Asian and Inuit people is what we have to take away from it that's what the inspiration is but there's no very and they're people of color but there's not a specific race that you can like connect to a specific tribe or character if that makes sense yes I agree uh I just have two really quick points uh, first of all, I'm looking at the cast and production crew. There are definitely a lot of Asians in this production crew, which are a lot more than I expected. Um, a couple of the directors are Asian. There's a Korean director. There's a couple of Chinese directors, uh, a bunch of other different descent people that are in the cast. And um, additionally, for the voice actor thing, I feel like you shouldn't have to um, like hire a person of color just because they're a person of color. Uh, I feel like you should or that the, the person of color that their, their role is, I feel like the person that is hired should be the person that is able to represent the, the person or the character that they're playing the best. Um, in which case, it may be like a white person playing a black person. And maybe that white person has a really iconic voice or a really like iconic like role that they're playing. And it's, they just do it really well. I feel like it shouldn't have to go to a black person just because that character is black. Um, I feel like it's controversial topic but i think my opinion might be unpopular but i just feel that that's how it should be i agree with what you're saying it's like who can do justice to the character yes you know like i remember there was like an interview or something that where azula's voice actor said or the creator said that they had chosen azula the voice actor based on the delivery given right it wasn't based on the fact that she was white or anything like gray elise i think that's her last name delisle delisle wow i'm really i think that a lot of the um the discussion surrounding uh, putting using ethnic actors uh voice actors on cartoon characters is just creating a space and opportunity for um people of color that are voice actors to rise because we know how hard it is especially in the entertainment industry to rise especially as a voice actor the voice acting community is um it's a very niche community yeah Yeah, really competitive field um but you're i agree with you only because one thing to know is that with voice actors a lot of times one voice actor will play multiple um characters so i mean like if there's a very versatile white voice actor that was able to play um azula and also make the animal sounds for appa and like also voice like azula's mom you know like it would make sense to just hire them i but i think it's just all about creating a space and opportunity because we know and we've seen how hard it is for people um that are uh, not white to rise in the entertainment industry